Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the What's On Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Anthony, and I really appreciate you guys for coming back. I cannot tell you guys how long we've been trying to get this episode <laughs> recorded. Like, I've since the day I've met this young lady, instant connection and just how nice and welcoming she is. And she's very open to writing about cultures that she's not either necessarily a part of or people don't really shed a light on them. And I'll let her introduce herself, and we'll go from there. Uh, hi, my name is Dipika Rao. How you doing, Dipika? I'm good. That's, that's good to hear. So, at least from your perspective, and I can tell mine, how did we meet? Um, JRN 200, mm-hmm. yeah. Same, definitely met in uh, Journalism 200 with our former teacher, Sky Atkinson. Shout out, Sky, if you ever listen to this. What'd you think of the class overall, and Sky? Um, I thought I thought it was amazing. I think... Um, it's been a while since I've had a more Socratic class that really focuses on student perspectives and having a lot of discourse during the class and being open to different ideas. So it was like I was looking forward to coming to that class every day. Yeah, I was, he was definitely my favorite um, professor of that semester, and mm-hmm. that class overall was really good. How Your journalism major, correct? Yeah, so actually right now I'm an international relations and journalism major, but I'm looking to switch into business. Oh, really? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, um, I love journalism. I love writing, and um, I love international relations. But really, especially with journalism, I felt that um, almost everything that I was learning was from the experience I was gaining at the State News and from people around me. I feel like I loved like my journalism classes that I took, but I think a lot of what you learn is on the job. So I didn't really feel like I wanted to get a degree in it. I wanted that to be something that I could just pursue in life um, as something that I love. But in terms of like job security, frankly, I thought business would be a better route for me. Okay. And what was the process of switching a major and how did you get to that conclusion that that would be better suited for you? Um, I'm still in the process of applying to the business school. I'll probably know if I get in at the start of summer, but um, I think for me, like the good thing about business is that you can use it as like an avenue of pursuing different things. Like you can go completely corporate. You can use it to foster um, governmental relations. You can look into think tanks. I feel like it was just a really broad range of um, opportunities that better suited me because I'm not entirely sure like which route I want to take. Definitely understandable. And you mentioned that you work for the state news, obviously. How's your time been at the state news? I love the state news. I have... I don't think I've had a better job experience and community experience. I've learned so much about journalism, journalistic ethics, work experience, but I think it's really shaped, honestly, like fostering intimate connections with other people. I think interviewing people really has developed my habit of like getting to know them on a better level, trying to understand their thoughts, getting a better worldview in general. So that's what I'm taking away. Definitely great. And we were talking off camera that you're a part of the culture desk and Mm -hmm. How was that process of choosing which desk you wanted to write upon? I um, applied for culture when I first applied for the State News, and then I got put on as a staff reporter. And um, I had rotated twice from campus to city, and then when I was on city, um, I was told that I could be a GA reporter for culture. And I always knew I wanted to do culture, but I didn't expect the diversity within culture itself. Honestly, in my mind, it was just like film reviews and song opinions, but it's so much more than that. And I think, yeah, I think that's my favorite part about being on culture. Could you go into more detail as far as the things you've learned being a culture reporter? Yeah, um, I I think that, okay, this is my, like a little complicated, but I definitely think that in today's like 
environment and like culture of po- politics and um, just opinions in general, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on like, okay, for example, like wokeism. I think people use the term woke to invalidate the strive for racial inequality. And I think you can find that in so many topics. Um, I am the pop culture reporter. So right now I talk about a lot of seemingly insignificant things like movies and um, like celebrity feuds. But I think within that you can really expose deeper layers and get into more important topics. So for me, being the pop culture reporter is an avenue to turn these things that people enjoy and that are entertainment, keep them as entertainment, but also use that to voice like minorities and lift those platforms up. That's definitely understandable, especially as a black person, just seeing the work you do. I've told you many, many times, I really appreciate the work you, you do. Yeah. And so far with the things you've wrote, what has been your, I guess, favorite thing you've looked into culture-wise and what favorite story that you wrote, you have one? Oh, that's tough. Um, I really liked, this was when I was a GA, but um, I wrote a piece about what Thanksgiving means to indigenous students. And okay. that was really cool because we, I went, I talked to a professor um, in James Madison and she was telling me about MSU's history as a land grant institution and what that means and what other universities can be doing better to support indigenous communities and you know, take start peeling back that legacy of colonization and genocide. Um, but the um, students that I spoke to were members of NAISO, which is an indigenous um, student club at MSU. I forgot what it stands for exactly, but they were talking about you know the pressures that come with Thanksgiving and the expectations. But I think the most important takeaway I had from that writing that article was they were saying that everyone expects you to have something to comment on issues like this. And then going forward, it got me thinking like, would asking you know students of marginalized communities to speak on a topic, is that a burden? Am I burdening them? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Is it different for everyone? So it just made me a lot more conscious in terms of that. Okay. And before I get into the questions I actually have wrote down, I want to ask, how did you choose MSU just as an institution? Are you from Michigan? Are you Was Michigan State your first choice? Yeah. So um, I am from Michigan. I'm from Troy. It's not, it's like 40 minutes from Detroit. Okay. Um, uh, MSU was not honestly my first choice. Really? Troy is a really, it's a bubble for sure. I grew up in a community that I was really grateful to grow up in a diverse community. There's a big Asian population in Troy. Um, so Troy High School was extremely competitive and it is a top feeder school into UMich. So there was always that pressure to get into schools like, you know, the University of Michigan. So coming to MSU was a bit of a culture shock to me. I knew MSU was a PWI, but I was still coming out of that bubble, so it was a little hard for me. But um, one thing that did appeal to me about MSU was the JMC program. Mm -hmm. Um, I went into MSU very set on law. I thought that's what I was going to be doing. So JMC is kind of this like pre-law program that lets you get into social issues, but um, develop those writing skills that's necessary for law. So that was really attractive to me. And the University of Michigan does not have a J school. Um, or a adjacent program to JMC. So that is one great thing about MSU that I appreciate. Okay. And you mentioned just the culture shock of being here and being at a PWI mm-hmm. and just really seeing what that means. Because I know for me, did you visit MSU before you came to MSU? Um, I didn't go on a campus tour. I have been here for like high school competitions, but mm-hmm. I didn't come on a formal tour. Yeah, I've never been, I had never been to MSU before I came here. Mm-hmm. And my sister, she went to U of M Ann Arbor and like their campus is pretty big, but I'm like, okay, this is manageable. Being here, one of the sides of the campus was a culture shock, but just being around tons of people who didn't really look like me Mm -hmm. and being in classrooms where I don't really see a lot of other people of color look like me, it was a lot to handle. 
from your perspective, how did you adapt to that environment? And what advice could you give to someone who's of color who is on this university and don't really know what to do as far as adapting to the culture or the lack yeah. of? <laughs> Honestly, it was hard. I mean, um, I was very apprehensive about MSU because but when I was still in high school, there was an incident I know in JMC with like a toilet paper noose being hung outside a black student's dorm. There were a lot of racial diversity issues. Um, part of the reason I'm leaving JMC is because there are diversity issues, but to my knowledge, there's a new dean that's doing a really great job of handling that. Um, I think for me, it might be a little different because um, there are a lot of tri people at MSU as well. So a lot of the like Indian people, for example, that I run into, I already know, like whether through family, friends, or high school. So it was hard to get out of my circle and make new friends, but um, I think there are a lot of great student organizations at MSU. I know CIUS is the Coalition of Indian Undergraduate Students. That's one of the largest student orgs on campus overall. Um, so I think definitely joining student organizations is a great way to get involved and more ingrained into the culture. Okay. And with being at a PWI, being in this environment, what does keeping your culture intact mean to you? Because I've always thought about, as a black person, just what can I do to be proud of who I am and yeah. understand that I'm here for a reason, even if I don't see people who look like me? What does it mean to you to not necessarily have the chip on your shoulder, but just understand that no matter what, like you belong here? That's really interesting. Um, student organizations for one, but sometimes I do feel a little like pigeonholed in culture organizations because I feel like I have to or I'll lose my culture, like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think... You know, it's it's easier said than done, but there is, like, the term whitewash, and it's, like, hard. I mean, if you want to make friends in a PWI, you have to adapt yourself to the people around you. So I think just having a hold on who you are, sticking to your morals, specifically in JMC classes, you can get drowned out by the white voices. It's very easy to. Mm-hmm. So you really have to, not to place a burden on, you know, minorities, but I think it is important to speak up and get those opinions out there because, you know, with JMC, again, very specifically, like there is a lot of um, dissent and there isn't a big emphasis on diversity. So you kind of have to make yourself be part of that emphasis. And how to piggyback off that, how has or how was that in the classrooms being someone who's of color and not really seeing people who look like you? How was how did you get comfortable being expressive on your views or just your thoughts in general in the classroom? It was hard. I can tell you in one class, I didn't. I never got comfortable. I was quiet the whole semester. Um, In a lot of the writing JMC classes, it's hard because, and I did an article on this, but um, it's not that, like, they're actively promoting racism. I'm not saying that. But I think there are a lot of things that is up to the professor to handle and to correct and to steer on the right path. And a lot of times, you just don't see that happening. there was a prompt. My, I was taking a writing course um, about race and identity, and there was a prompt where if you are a person of color, you choose, like, the third prompt, and it's how has your experience been with your race and, you know, how has your race disadvantaged you? Obviously, I'm not speaking it verbatim, but that prompt was not something for white people to use as their essay prompt. There was another prompt for white people, and it was how has whiteness affected you in society and blah, blah, blah. Um and it's funny because, like, a lot of white students were choosing the prompt that was crafted for minorities. And then they were talking about how they were disadvantaged by their race, which systemically just doesn't happen. So, and we share these thoughts, we share our developments on the essays. And I think at those points, like, a professor can, you know, 
step in and be like, why do you think this way? Kind of steer the students into the right direction, but I just didn't see that happening. It's very interesting. I would have I would have had a, an interesting perspective if I was, like, somebody reading those papers. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to hear how a white person was disadvantaged by their race. Like, it sounds so um, ridiculous on my end, but you never know. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe they've been pulled over and was uh, profiled because they were white. Someone said that. <laughs> actually, we were talking about experience, and this kid raised his hand. And actually, it was my friend. She's black. She raised her hand, and she was saying, you know, I get very tense when a police officer pulls me over. And then a white student raised her hand, and they said, me too. Which is, it's not to the same degree. You know, uh, everybody experiences different things, but I can imagine that it's a much different version of profiling, quote-unquote, if you're not a person of color. Mm -hmm. But um, when speaking on issues about that, we... I was in my sociology class the other day, and we were talking about how in the media sometimes the black perspective is kind of portrayed in a very specific way, whether it's the sassy black friend or the dark-skinned woman who's Mm -hmm. deemed as not attractive. And we've seen things like movies now they're making. Obviously, Ariel is going to be a black woman, and then there was a lot of backlash around that. We talked around that about that when it first, first happened. And now with The Princess and the Frog, are you familiar with the Disney movie The Princess and the Frog? Yeah. There now there are rumors going around on like who should play the role, and some people have tried to put people who aren't of color in mm-hmm. that role. And just being a cultural reporter, how do you handle seeing things in the media that make you feel uncomfortable? But as a journalist, you have to tackle it as objective as possible. That is tough. I think especially that comes in with issues like abortion and and where you see stuff like that because we have to remain, you know, unbiased, even though that's not like objectively possible. We have to have unbiased reporting. Um, I think the best thing I know you also wrote an article about Ariel for our our journal class, Mm -hmm. but um, I think the best thing to do is to have both perspectives presented and um, let people take it from there. Like I in my article about um, Halle Bailey being casted as Ariel. There, I included like the tweets that were essentially hate speech. You know, talking about why they didn't want her. And then I spoke to two MSU professors who, in detail, kind of debunked those tweets or talked about why these tweets are feeding systemic racism, why these tweets are problematic and not. You know, I think there was one saying that you know, um, based on the book, if you want to be accurate, Ariel is white. But then the professor talked about how Ariel is a fantastical creature and assigning a race to her is inherently, you know, racism. So I think it's just really important to present both sides. Definitely. And it was also hard for me writing that same story, just being someone who's black and then just writing about a black issue, but having to keep it objective. Mm -hmm. It's it's just very difficult to be objective on racism or just things yeah. like abortion in general. And everybody's going to have their own beliefs. Mm-hmm. And the only problem arises on the other end when people try and make their beliefs like seem as fact. Yeah. And just with writing these stories, I can get to the actual questions I wrote. But as a woman of color, what does it mean to you to have the opportunity to write articles about other cultures that you may not be a part of? And what things have you learned about other cultures you previously were unaware of that may have changed your outlook on life as a whole? Yeah. Um, well, as, you know, first and foremost, a, a woman of color, I have known, I've had, you know, I think minorities, not to lump them all in together, but I think there is, to a certain extent, a set of shared experiences that we have. Obviously, you know, a lot of them differ between minorities based on the experiences here in the United States. But um, I think there is some sort of solidarity, usually, that I find with sources that really makes it easier to get them to open up to me to pick issues to talk about. 
um, and it has made voicing minorities at the the top of my priority. Like that is so important to me, just because of the experiences that I've had. Um, what was the second part of your question? It was. What things have you learned about other cultures you previously were unaware of that may have changed your outlook on life as a whole? Yeah, okay, so I did one article um, when I, I think it was my first culture article about uh, AAVE, about how TikTok, they call it TikTok language, um, but it's really AAVE and how that's being appropriated. And um, I didn't know about code switching um, really. Like I, I researched about it beforehand, I did the article, but I didn't know about code switching. I didn't understand what that was and the necessity for why. Um, I wasn't taught about it in school, which is you know an issue in itself. That's something I learned um, with the indigenous students of the Thanksgiving article. I learned about the land grant institution. I learned about what Thanksgiving means to them, what it represents. Um, I, I've, I've learned a lot about also like just contrasting opinions. Um, like with Avatar 2, it was accused of cultural appropriation. And I had, um, you know, Avatar is, I might be wrong about this, but I'm like pretty sure it's a Hindu word. Um, I know it's it's pertaining to Indian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of cultures that James Cameron took to make this fantasy world. And there were conflicting opinions on is this cultural appropriation or is this a fantasy universe? So I have students talking about both sides of the stories, both students of color, and I just think it's interesting. So it's definitely opened me up to different opinions in general. And... Real quick, just speaking about Avatar, and it was weird because when I, I'm a big fan of the first Avatar, and then seeing the second Avatar, they had like the white guy or the white kid who had like locks, dreadlocks, and I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. So, just from your opinion, when you were mentioning, how do you feel about the cultural appropriation topics? And especially, I'm, I'm not, I'm also not sure if Avatar is like a Hindu word. So, if mm-hmm. it is, that's props to you for knowing that. <laughs> but just how do you feel overall about? Um, I think it's interesting. I think there's a fine line to walk because, yes, it's fantasy. It's made up. It's an amalgam of different cultures. Um, amalgam? But okay. Hold on. You're about to pull, about to maybe <laughs> no. pull out the stories, okay? I, I think that be, but you can. there are ways to acknowledge those different cultures. For example, you know, all most of the Na'vi people in the Avatar universe are CGI. So it would be so easy to allow representation into that casting by casting people from different backgrounds of different races because ultimately, like, CGI would make their skin blue and incorporate them into the fantasy universe. So I don't under, really get why, like, Sigourney Weaver had to reprise her role. I think there that would have been a great opportunity for representation and diversity within the cast itself. And I think there are ways that James Cameron can acknowledge that he took parts of different cultures and incorporated it in a good in a productive way rather than I stole it. Definitely understandable. And this also reminds me of something else. I don't know if you're familiar with. Are you familiar with the Harry Potter franchise? And just some things that have been going on recently with the Harry Potter, yeah. specifically the game they released. Um, I don't know much about it. I just know that there was a lot of controversy because of J.K. Rowling. If mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm also not informed about J.K. Rowling. So if you are, then you can feel me in on why people view her the way they do. But if she's under some fire. She's been under some fire for a while due to maybe some transphobic comments mm-hmm. she's made. And they released a Harry Potter game. And streamers and gamers around the world were trying to play the game, but they were being attacked for being transphobic because they were playing Playing the the game. game. And it was confusing for a lot of people because J.K. Rowling had no direct ties to the game. It Mm -hmm. was just Harry Potter, and since people view her as one thing, people attacked people for playing the game, and they just simply wanted to play the game. The question I have, when issues like these arise, how do you think, it? how do you manage the fine line of 
being understanding to a side, but also being understanding to the other side and understanding that different views can clash, but it doesn't, each side can be right pretty much. That's interesting because as a person, like naturally I will gravitate to one side over the other usually. I'll just, you know, choose what my morals align with. Um, For that issue specifically, I think it's interesting because, yes, J.K. Rowling has come under fire for her transphobic comments and for her depiction of, like, characters in the book that were problematic. Um, I don't know much about the game, but if the game is new and doesn't incorporate the old characters, I think it actually could be a chance to have a new avenue that's not transphobic and create a new universe that Harry Potter fans can enjoy, but also be separate from all that backlash and be separate from engaging in in that hatred. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's interesting that the two sides are fighting. I don't know, though, if it has the old characters. Then I guess I could see where... Yeah. Yeah, I'm also not familiar. What I am familiar with is, ironically, they had a transgender person in the game. Okay. So it was... I felt like, especially the developers of the game, because they're separate people. They have families they're trying to take care of, and they mm-hmm. also attempted to be inclusive somewhat in the mm-hmm. game. And again, I'm not familiar with Harry Potter. Well, I've actually never watched it or read the books. <laughs> but just, it's... And another question I'm just thinking of, how how do you personally handle talking about these issues, whether it be part of the LGBTQ+, or just issues with different minorities? How do you handle talking about the more controversial uh, topics and just giving your own opinion without offending anyone. I think the best thing to always do is research, research of both sides. And then when you're sourcing, you know, journalistically and you're talking to people, make sure their views are being incorporated and not, you know, selecting different clips that um, appeal to one side or the other. Like, again, objectivity is, is tough to achieve. It's easier said than done. But I think that's the best thing to do. But really knowing about what you're talking about. I don't know a lot about LGBTQIA plus issues. I... Um, it's, yeah, like I, I, especially if I'm writing an article for culture about something I'm not familiar with, I think the first step always to do is research. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just in general of talking about these different issues, like we were mentioning, like we've talked about many times, it takes a lot for people to be interested in certain things, especially about black culture, because maybe some people don't know how to write about it. Some people may just honestly may not care about it. And what inspired you to seek knowledge about other cultures and specifically black culture with being a woman of color and a woman in general and having the role of sometimes not being looked at as equal compared Mm -hmm. to men and we'll get into that later but just what inspired you to tackle these subjects about culture black culture minority culture in general for one um i think that if there were limitations on who could write about who could voice minority voices and who could write about marginalized issues then we would never have progress in society because then if you're kind of telling like for example white people you can't speak about and and i'm not saying voice like being a voice for a specific issue but just talking about it getting other people who belong to that community's opinions about it if we limit that to just the race at hand i don't think we have any progress in terms of understanding racism and dismantling it more importantly so i first and foremost i think that it's important for everyone to learn about other people's cultures and learn about the issues that they're facing and figure out how to dismantle it together. Um, Black culture specifically, uh, and I'm not naming any specific institution, but I think that's one that's historically been oppressed, especially in America, not talked about, very marginalized, but also turned into the brunt of a joke. Um, You see that a lot on platforms like TikTok now. And... um, it's just like the audios, for example. You have audios of like, I don't know if you watched Hidden Figures. 
I haven't watched it. Okay. I, or is that? I'm pretty sure I have watched it. Isn't that the movie with uh, Taraji P. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, have yeah, watched yeah. it. Okay. So I was she, thinking of Woman King. Okay. Yeah, no. No, so she gives a speech in the movie about segregation and discrimination, and it's a beautiful... Oh, I about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a Keep beautiful, going. like, acting segment and a beautiful speech, and then people on TikTok are using that audio to, like, compare it to, like, washing the dishes or something stupid. And, yes, it's a joke, and I'm not saying that humor can't exist anymore, but we have to understand, like, where it's coming from, why it can be problematic, um, how it's undermining the strive for racial equality. Definitely understandable. And just if you, let's say a social media business was in front of you right now, what would you say or how would you say social media should handle jokes and disrespecting other cultures what would be your personal advice on how to uh, improve that um again i think it's a really fine line to walk because you could have something that i don't want to say this but you could have something that offends someone somewhere and that's like that does happen um i just think they need to be open to hearing people i think that's the best way to to figure out like what to do in, in such a political climate like mm-hmm. such as now i think listening to people again doing research being informed and educated that's the best way to stay on top of things okay and just real quick i'm thinking while we were talking about this in general what's your opinion on like cancel culture or just apps like twitter or just social media taking let's say a mistake someone makes and like writing them off and you have people obviously think of like the baby people like that people like Andrew Tate which we're gonna get into Mr. Tate later but just how do you what are your personal views on cleansing and culture do you think it has its place or do you think it overstays its welcome I feel like cancel culture may have started out um like well intended in a way but I do think there's a danger with it because if you like you said write someone off you're not giving them and this is tough because you can find exceptions to this, but you're not giving society a chance to change mm-hmm. and make a, like, you know, say, okay, this was wrong, let's move forward, because you're just kind of wiping them their existence off and saying that what they're doing is um, is not right. And it's especially interesting when you come to influencers, because these people have so, they have a lot of following, they have a lot of power over their followers, they actually have an opportunity to make waves in the world. So I think canceling them takes away the chance for them to make corrections, to spread positive messages, and to continue making those waves, because ultimately they will forever have a platform. Uh I think you find that with people who have been canceled, like their name still rings bells, their names still make people say, oh, I, I know that person, I know they did this. And it's better that their name be associated with the change they made rather than the mistake that they made. Okay. I like that last thing you said. Um, with all this talk about culture, I want to ask, could you talk about your own culture? What does your culture mean to you? And if someone like me, for example, is not very familiar with Indian culture, how would you explain and express your culture and just that part of you? Um, that's a good question. I've never really had to think about that because... Uh, um, India is really diverse. There's 22 languages. Um, really? Yeah. Wow, that's dope. 22 languages. It's like one of the oldest. I know Hinduism is one of the oldest religions. I have definitely struggled with my culture, like every single day since I've grown up. I can tell you, you know, on really basic levels like school, like making fun of food, you know, the kind of stuff that is almost cliched at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've struggled with it with my personal identity, whether I want to express it or not, whether I think that'll get me embarrassment or humiliation. Um, I still struggle with that now. It's easier in Troy because, again, there's a huge Asian community, so I don't feel out of place. But if I were to go to a religious event or a cultural event here, I think I'd definitely be a little more apprehensive. Um, 
And then definitely with my career choices, I think it's affected me the most mm-hmm. because I'm I've been involved in like music my whole life. That's you know from the bottom Not of really. my heart. Yeah, what I want to pursue, but I wrote it off at a very young age because I told myself I was accepting reality, but what I was telling myself is that I don't fit the mold to be able to successfully pursue anything in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I am able to recognize that you have to be able to be, like, you have to be sellable. You have to be marketable mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry. And someone who looks like me, who has a name like me, just in my mind, is it's going to be really tough. And I don't know if I would be willing to, like, fight for that or if it's possible at all. It's interesting that you had that perspective because on my end, like, your name's really unique, you're really pretty, and oh you're very you're very concise with your thoughts and you're very well spoken. Mm-hmm. And when you it seems like when you have something in mind, like you're gonna you're gonna succeed at it. So at least from my perspective, I know it's very hard just when we look in the own mirror in general, it's like yeah. hard to like brag about ourselves. But I feel like anything you'd pursue you'd be very successful in. And I never knew that you had thoughts about like the music industry or music. Mm-hmm. Could you go into more detail about that? Because I never knew that about you. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I don't like tell. Thank you, first of all. Um, that really means a lot. But I have been just involved with like vocal singing my whole life and instruments. Um, and it's something that my parents encouraged me to do. My family and friends around me. I did like classical opera and Western training throughout high school. I um, actually was a semi-finalist in a couple of national competitions. Okay, period. Um, (laughs) But beyond that, like, even with more traditional careers, like law, which is what I went into MSU for, I was always thinking, like, okay, in a courtroom, am I going to be able to say my piece without being shut down by a white judge, by another white lawyer? In a corporate law firm, am I going to be able to make it to the top of the corporate ladder, or am I going to be held down by how I look, what my race is, you know? Mm -hmm. I always have to think about that stuff. It's always at the forefront of my mind. So I think... In terms of coming to terms with my culture, it's hard because I want to appreciate it, and I do, but there are moments when it's a, there's a lapse because I'm always thinking about the moment, the ways in which it also drags me down simultaneously. And that's one of the main reasons why I've always said, like, I personally couldn't get into business because, like I said, on my end, like, you seem very marketable. You're anything, any talents you have, they should be shown to the world but things in business especially with marketing you kind of have to play dirty you kind of have to step on people and you kind of have to push narratives that may not be true and Mm -hmm. just at the end of the day you trying to succeed as a businessman or a businesswoman and just in general with talking about the music what has been some of your favorite songs i know you said you've performed and been semi-finalist in the competitions i want to ask more about that but just to start off lightly what are some of your favorite songs or favorite artists in general I love Frank Ocean. Frank Ocean is really good. Um, I love Ariana Grande, but I think it's funny because, like, her fan base is just not willing to accept her history of, like, blackfishing. Yeah. And cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. It's nuts. Um, I love the classics. I love Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. Those are, I think, and Beyonce. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Those are people I've modeled. That's interesting. Yeah. Beyonce reminds me of something. So I had an interview. I did a part two with Jada. We mm-hmm. had we recorded something recently, and I asked her. She's big into music as well. Who would you say is the one of the greatest, if you can't think of one, just multiple? Who do you think is the greatest singer of all time, and who do you think was probably overrated as a singer as far as, like, vocalist? Whitney Houston, easily greatest singer of all time. I, I like, like that never I like argue that with anyone. Mm-hmm. Overrated. It's hard because, okay, it's hard with women in the industry mm-hmm. because – um, they're always pitting women against women in entertainment. Definitely understand. And they're always, da- like, you see women, perf- I'm sorry, I'm segueing a little, but you no, see, you good, you good. 
you see female performers, they have to wear, like, revealing outfits. They have to dance and sing. Dua Lipa got so much hate, like, last year because she couldn't dance. And people in the comments of TikTok videos I saw were saying, oh, good, we bullied her into dancing. And then you see, like, Louis Capaldi, Shawn Mendes. All they have to do is stand there in sweats and sing at a concert. And that's Standard it. Standard sweats. Basically. Words. I'm not saying that they can't do that, but women I should also you. be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So when you say overrated, my mind honestly like completely honestly jumped to Britney Spears at first but then I'm like no society has done a really good job at taking away her voice and degrading her and she's a hard worker and she's been dancing just because she emphasizes dancing over singing doesn't mean she's any less of Mm -hmm. a you know an artist so it's it's tough um but personally I'm not a big fan of Billie Eilish so I think I will say she's a little okay wow yeah I've never heard that one before and you made a great point with just performances and the standards that men and women are held mm-hmm. to because when I think about Rihanna Rihanna uh or yeah Rihanna's Super Bowl performance I personally was a really big fan of it and mm-hmm. just by the way just to say I'll get to my question just the her performance and like so many hits she has like those weren't even are hits like she did incredible in my, in yeah. my opinion but the question I have it comes from seeing people like really bash her performance like even like some of my family they were saying like yeah i mean it was it was cool but it wasn't that good she didn't really do much and i'm thinking like first of all we didn't even i didn't even know if she was pregnant i didn't know if it was pregnancy or postpartum but i to was find out, defending her with my life saying that you can't expect women to go back to their bodies yeah <laughs> and the fact that she was pregnant and one she still did the performance she could have easily uh canceled mm-hmm. or anything and the fact that she did the performance did good i feel like she did a really good job but just when seeing how women are treated in the media. I know I've had episodes about this on my own before I, uh, this interview. How how do you feel, just to give more detail, of how women are treated in the media? How do you feel about that? And do you think there's anything that could be done to fix it? Um, okay. In terms of fixing it, I feel like there's not one answer because misogyny is so deeply ingrained into the foundation of society. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, women in media are just vilified. You see Selena Gomez and um, Haley Bieber, that whole thing right now has been like, yeah, it's funny on the surface or whatever. But again, it's it's women being pitted against other women. And you don't really see that with um, celebrity feuds between between men. But I think the first thing that came to my mind when you said that is Meghan Markle, because mm-hmm. she is like constantly attacked at on the media on british media she really can't get a break it's crazy i'm not really familiar with that could you go into a bit more detail about that yeah so um i know when they got Meghan markle and prince harry got engaged there was okay just, that is what it is. okay, all okay. Right. yeah yeah no i don't know if you remember this but like it was all over headlines that just british media was being so racist to her they were yeah com- i remember that yeah comparing her to like a monkey it was absolutely insane okay i didn't know that yeah but that is crazy yeah and that didn't stop and then you have Meghan markle on her oprah show she talked about you know the racism that she experienced in but from the royal family and then you have people saying one that's expected two she's lying like i don't i don't understand why she's such a villain yeah, I yeah. didn't really get it either. I had to remember who the, um, the young lady was because mm-hmm. I remembered the name, but I couldn't think yeah. of the face. And just seeing it in the media, the fact that they had to leave the royal family because of the things they were going through, it's really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And just to piggyback off of what we were talking about, what what are your personal views on moments of sexism towards women or the uprise of, like, alpha men in society? We mentioned Andrew Tate and people like that and just, yeah. 
It's, yeah, it's so stupid. I mean, <laughs> it's funny because you say uprise of alpha male, but I think it was always there just taking new forms. And I think our generation, that's like the newest form. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Tate, I, yeah, I mean, you've seen, we've all seen this before that Andrew Tate, even as a joke being supported, is not good because we have a young kids, impressionable minds that can support him starting out as a joke. You see it with Kanye too. But what you're supporting, what you're getting behind is extremely problematic. Definitely. And recently he had been incarcerated and someone else that um this very recently happened. Did you see what happened with Six Nine? Uh no, I didn't. So he pretty much ended up like getting assaulted in like a gym and people are celebrating like, oh my god, he finally people finally caught up to him and people, uh karma finally caught up to him. The question I always ask people because no secret, not I'm personally not an Andrew Tate fan, didn't really care about Six Nine, yeah. but just it's always been very odd to me when people celebrate something tragic happening to people. Yeah. Like, I remember Kevin Samuels when he passed away. Like, there were people who were genuinely, like, happy that he passed mm-hmm. away. And I get on one end, like, these aren't the best people. Like, Andrew Tate, don't even have to explain. And 6 9 literally a non-black person who used the N-word throughout his music. I'm pretty sure he just recently or at all, some point in time I was found guilty of having sex with a minor or doing something like that. Oh like, God. these people, I'm not going to run to their defense, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to necessarily feel bad for them, one, because I don't know them, but two, these people have done horrible things. Andrew Tate, again, just all the things he's done. But just, it's always, I've never gone as far as to celebrate when something bad happens to somebody, because yeah. they're still people. So just, and then, like, apparently Donald Trump's going to get arrested soon or whatever Trump going through. Just how, um, on your end, how do you view situations like that? Or just how do you balance, like, okay, like, you may not like this person or you may not like this figure, but you're you're not going to give so much attention to them that you care when something bad happens to them. Yeah, I think what you said was really powerful about how you don't, like, understand why. It's kind of, it's kind of like why would viol- violence shouldn't beget violence. Like, it shouldn't be... Um, it is reactive, unfortunately. So I think mm-hmm. that's really what you see happening is this call for balance. You know, like because this person's bad, they deserve this to happen to them. But again, like it's 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 a mob mentality, and I don't think it's ultimately productive for society. Definitely understandable. And I know you mentioned like when we were talking about culture, just like religion and stuff, for example. And are you are you religious at all? Um. Not really. Like I, my family's, my family is Hindu, and like sometimes I'll go to the temple, but it's not, it's not a regular thing. Okay, that's definitely understandable. Because again, when me and Jada had recorded our other episode, we were like talking about religion and mm-hmm. stuff, and just the question I have for you, just general question: when conversations of like religion or politics come up, and those conversations can get really, really intense, depend on the person. How do you handle those conversations, especially like you say, you're not the most religious person, and yeah. It's frustrating because you have to have tolerance and respect for everybody, you know, everybody's religions, cultures, backgrounds. But then especially I think you see this with Christianity um, in extreme cases, you see it being used as an excuse for Mm -hmm. hatred, like things, hateful things. Um, So I think that happens a lot with the extremists, like right wing Republicans. Um, But yeah, I think it's just it's just hard. It's a hard thing to navigate. Definitely understandable. And to go back, to, to transition all the way back to journalism and talking about things like that, what 
inspired you to be to continue to be a journalist? Because I know you're switching majors and you're still obviously a part of the state news. What keeps your inspiration going to think of stories every week and to get that product out there for people to continue reading while also trying to constantly think of ideas to keep things mm-hmm. going on your end? For one, I love writing. That's something I've always been involved with as a kid. Um, so it's just like a mix of that passion coming through with, again, wanting to amplify the voices of marginalized communities wanting to get that out there and um and i love film that's something that yeah no i'm I'm a big (laughs) i like a lot of movies that film bros like so i'm very involved in that um so that is like one motivator anytime anything has to do with award shows or um, movies or uh, tv shows that's something i'm usually on top of but um Coming up with new ideas for me is always fun. I think as culture, you have really good leeway to talk about really serious issues and then really fun issues that can help just relieve someone's stress, especially after, you know, everything that happened to MSU. Uh-huh. So um, I usually try to pitch both ends of the spectrum. Um, I love everyone on the culture desk. And, like, my editors, you like, usually never rejects a pitch. She always tweaks it and tells me how I can make it better. But there's so much opportunity to get your ideas out there. So I think I'm able to use the full spectrum of creativity here. Okay. And real quick, I just wanted to talk about, um, you mentioned like the recent month and a half of MSU. How, just in general, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you feeling at MSU? How has your mind been? Especially because it's been a crazy month and a half. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I went home. I was like able to go home, which I'm really happy about because so many international students were stuck here mm-hmm. in such a traumatizing area. Um, I will tell you that subconsciously when I walk around campus now, I don't even realize it, but I'm thinking of, okay, where can I hide? What's the nearest place to run if something happens? Um, what's the best place to, to go to? What's the best thing to do? Um, and it's so hard to focus on school. I'm Definitely. so demotivated. It, it feels like senioritis in high school. I don't Same. care about classes. Yeah, I just, it, everything feels so trivial and in the grand scheme of things, like, useless. So I just am trying to push through semester and finish it out. Really understandable, because especially ever since that happened, it's been the same thing for me. And just, I know yesterday, were you in class yesterday when the yeah. uh, the signal went off yeah, and the alarm for the whatever test they was doing, I forget it, uh, what it was, uh, or the tornado, the tornado thing. Scenario, yeah. Um, how'd you feel during that moment? Cause me, like instantly my anxiety was going through the roof. Like I got scared. I didn't know how serious it was. And like people next to me were kind of like freaking out. And then like the slack people were like, mm-hmm. they knew saying like, okay, we need people to have their opinions, write stories. And it was just so much happened all at once. And meanwhile, and all credit to my professor, she was just like, yeah, we're far away from it. So we're just going to continue the lesson. So oh. if it wouldn't have been for the tornado drill, she stopped because just the sound of the tornado drill, but she would have kept uh, teaching the lesson while everybody's kind of like freaking out. And I heard like some professors release classes. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, that was an interesting way to handle that. But how'd you feel in that moment? I was scared. I honestly, first I was thinking not again. My professor ran and shut the doors and we all kind of got quiet and some kids were laughing to cope. Some kids were really scared, understandably. Um, I have to tell you, this sounds horrible, but throughout high school and going into college, I knew some. Like I was just thinking, it's a matter of time. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of time before something like this happens to me, to someone I know and love. Um, it wasn't shocking to me at all that the shooting happened, especially the events leading up to the shooting. I'm not saying there was warning, but I don't know if you remember. Um, like Okamos High School got a shooting threat, 
And it was, like, not confirmed to be true, but police showed up there. And then East Lansing High Schools were all threatened in, like, a coordinated thing across the state. Like, there's so many precursors and there's so many warnings. And I I hope this, like, you know, doesn't trigger you. But on Wednesday, there was a shooting in a Colorado high school. Saying recently, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, I didn't hear about that, but Drew was saying, uh, Drew is somebody who works at the State News, and he was saying, like, there was another threat at one of the schools with, like, a weapon or something, but I didn't know there was a shooting at Colorado High School. Yeah, no, I don't know what it's going to take. I I have to accept, it sounds crazy, but honestly, I have accepted that the, I have to prepare for this in the future. This is something that we have to live with because it do, it seems so stagnant, and we're running through the same thoughts and prayers cycle, and it's just a vicious cycle is what it is. And I know you said, like, it's don't know what can we do to fix this, but just your views on, like, just weapons in general, just specifically guns, because it's so hard to, like, there's, I was talking to my dad about this because he's really into politics, mm-hmm. and it's one that he said it's one of the few things that's probably never going to be solved because yeah. you can't get rid, at least in America, can't get rid of guns, especially um, non-melanated folk who are heavy into using artillery and folks and and weapons of that nature they're not going to want to give up their weapons people violence is going to be everywhere what can you think of something because i can't (laughs) no it's it's funny you say that i i read an article about this um after oxford i i don't remember the specifics so i'm not going to misspeak but it was a really amazing article about how the second amendment just doesn't apply anymore like I don't know this, spe- I don't remember the specifics, but it was talking about how, um, you know, the right to bear arms would have made sense when the Constitution was being written for specific reasons, but right now just doesn't apply. Let alone having assault weapons, there's just no need. There's really no need. And yeah, as horrible as it sounds, I don't think it's ever going to be resolved. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be resolved either. But to segue from that, just um because that's a whole, these are very many conversations that can go on for hours with seem to no end. You said that you've been a part of multiple nationwide competitions, music-wise, and real quick before I forget, you said that you love writing, and I want to ask, have you wrote any songs? No, I do suck at that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I love books. Um, I am, like, a huge um, book reader. Um, I have, like, written, like, I'm really into creative writing, not so much in college because there's just not much time for it, but definitely middle school, high school, I love uh, fiction and fantasy writing, and for a while I thought I was going to be, like, a a book author. Is there any piece of writing you've done you can reference as, like, a favorite or just a memorable piece of writing you've done? Um, Okay, not creative writing, but did you have AP classes in your high school? I only had one, and I wasn't a part of it. Okay. It was, ironically, AP European history. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't even know that was an AP. Yeah, you would think history about white folk wouldn't have been, but, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I took AP, 11 AP English in, in my high school, and I had the best teacher I've ever had in my entire life. And it was funny because she strayed from, I believe that she actually strayed from the original school's accepted 11 AP curriculum. Mm-hmm. We read Mouse, which is a comic book um, written about the Holocaust, Amazing! It was a true story about a Holocaust survivor. We read A Raisin in the Sun. Um, we read... So, honestly, that was the class that made me understand systemic racism, colorblind racism, all these different forms of racism. That was the class that really opened me up to other cultures. So I think the essays that I wrote for that class, definitely my favorite pieces of writing that I've ever had. Definitely understand. That sounds like an awesome class, by the way. Yeah. And to go on the book side, do you have a favorite book or a memorable book that you've read? stuck with you okay i love jurassic park 
That book is oh, really wow. good. Yeah. Um, not many people know it's a book. I didn't. That's why I just reacted like that. Like, yeah. I didn't know it's a book. <laughs> There's a book called The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. It is a movie. I've heard I've heard the movie and the book. I've yeah. heard they're both good. It's actually about a journalist, so you should check it out. Oh, really? It's really good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I did grow up with Harry Potter. I don't really reach for it anymore, but that will always have a nostalgia factor no matter how much I don't want it to. Mm. Um, I loved Geronimo Stilton as a kid. That taught me that all I know. That sounds so familiar. Well, I'm going to do a live Google yeah. so I can make sure I know what you're talking about. Geronimo, can you talk a little bit more about the book? You that definitely know. I think I think you couldn't have avoided it, but it's just like a kid's kind of slash comic yep. writing. <laughs> yeah, and it's written from like the rat's perspective, and it's for children, but it taught me so much. I mean, each book is about different cultures and countries, so honestly, that probably was the biggest source of knowledge for me. <laughs> Great. And going fully into the music conversation what has been some of the places you've seen around the world like the places you've traveled because I didn't even know you traveled either so um I have to say this is the thing I am most grateful to my parents for but I've had the opportunity to since I was born we travel every year to a different country oh wow to a different country yeah mostly Europe but I think I have visited um upwards of 23 countries it's the best. I mean, you I see my face. I'm like, because <laughs> I've, at least from my memory, I can't remember, but I've never been out of Michigan. No, it is so. a huge privilege. And I'm so grateful that I've, I think that's something I want to like give to my family if I have one. But um, you learn so much. You really see other people, you see other cultures. And it sounds like a cliche, like it's obvious. But I, I don't think, I think ingraining yourself in another culture, each vacation I took would be in the summer and it would be for at least 10 days. And I know a lot of people do, like, there are tours that are offered, like, world tours that kind of squeeze in multiple countries in, like, two weeks. I just don't think I would enjoy that because you don't really get to ingrain yourself in the community and actually learn what these countries are about and what they have to offer. Um, But it's interesting because a lot of the countries I went to, I think two or last year I went to Greece. And Greece, um, I don't know if you've read Percy Jackson. I have it. I know what it is. Though, okay, but. yeah. No, but um, Hellenism is the religion of, like, believing in Greek gods like Zeus and Athena. And we go to all these um, sacred, amazing historical places and, like, museums. And all these artifacts just have – they're empty. They have gold plaques that say, you know, Statue of Athena. And I was asking the workers and employees there, you know, where is it? And they said, oh, it's in the British Museum. All of these artifacts that belong to these cultures have been looted and they haven't been returned and they're in the British Museum or they're in the Irish Museum. And it's just crazy to me that we're in 2023 and we still have like huge effects of colonization in play. Mm -hmm. And with visiting these different places in these different countries, what has usually been your favorite or best part about adapting to another culture or like eating a different places food what is what are some memorable moments that stick out to you food is always great (laughs) um i in high school i studied spanish so spain was one of my favorite places to visit because i got to put it to use and it was really cool the locals i mean yes there are areas where my family experienced racism in switzerland and france but um in spain they love when you speak their their language their eyes light up and they're so eager to talk to you um, so I think just connecting with people, again, on that more intimate level is just always an amazing thing to see. And it really reminds you that you're not as different from other people as you think. And that's something to keep in mind when um, there's so, such polarized views about race and identity. Um, but, yeah, that's something I appreciate. And you kind of answered another question I was going to ask as a follow-up. Can you speak any other languages? I can speak Spanish. 
My the language that my family speaks is called Tamil. It's a South Indian language. I understand it like really well. I just don't honestly. I'm so ashamed of myself. But I, I mean, I haven't had an opportunity to speak it except in my house, mm-hmm. and my parents speak English, so it, it was never necessary. It kind of just faded a little bit. Um, I do know a little bit, like bare minimum of Portuguese, just because it's very adjacent to Spanish. But other than that, I don't speak. Could you say something in Spanish if you don't mind? <laughs> <laughs> Put you on the spot, bro. Say, y'all want to listen. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. But it's just, it's so cool to be, I guess, technically, you're on your end, like, trilingual. You said, like, English, Spanish, Portuguese a little bit. I'm just going to say bilingual. Okay. Yeah. So you'll claim bilingual. But, yeah, it's just so cool people who are able to, like, speak multiple languages because, like, I took Spanish in high school, hated it. And just I wasn't, it wasn't my thing. But just being able to get that different perspective when traveling and just being able to speak a different language. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Really and cool. on the music end, um, could you go into more of your experiences on being like in competitive singing things and being able to get your voice out there in a different way other yeah. than journalism? Music was probably one of the few platforms where I didn't have to... Okay, I did have to think about like my identity and background in terms of career, but when I was performing, I felt very connected to the other performers. I felt like I was reaching my audience. It's such a releasing form of expression that um, it sounds so cliche, but like no, I could block did. everything else out and mm-hmm. I could actually enjoy myself. So that's something that's really drawn me to music. And then, sorry, what was the other part of your question? Just in general, I guess I can kind of ask a different question or ask in a different way. What were some of your best parts and favorite parts of competing uh, worldwide in music, and then what are some of the obstacles that you had to get through with being in different areas or just competing in general? So one of the competitions I did was during COVID. So I had to record myself and then send it in. Um, Coming to terms with the recording, well, no one really likes the sound of their own voice. So hearing it back is tough than live performing, for sure. Um, Thinking about how appearance-wise I look on a recording compared to other candidates was something that really stressed me out. Um, But when I'm performing live, I don't really think I have as much. I don't have those worries as much. It doesn't bother me um, to the same extent. Okay. And do you have any memorable moments during uh, when you sung professionally or competitively? Um, I haven't done it in a while, but my Uh private teacher, who is, like, one of the best people I've ever met, was like believed in me so much she taught me so much so every class with her was a blessing and she really taught me to like believe in myself and um she taught me how to use my voice as an asset and that was something that I could use to reach other people and to express myself um you know so you have writing on one side and you have vocal music on the other hand and I think those are two tools that I'll like never let go of okay and what type of music did you or like what genre were you performing I um, I grew up learning classical Indian music, and then I also grew up studying Western music, like pop music, and then um, I studied opera. And I actually had to quit because I got vocal notes in high school. What does that mean? Vocal notes are non-cancerous, like polyps or tumors that form on your vocal cords. Oh, Jesus. Um, it happened to Celine Dion, I believe. It happened to a few. I think Mariah Carey might have developed them with her crazy high whistle notes. <laughs> I was lucky. I know, like, some people, like, you get surgery, and then there's a, it's a gamble. Like, you can never sing again. Mine were very small, so I just did therapy in, in University of Michigan's vocal center. Um, and that really slowed me down, I think. But, like, beyond that, I think it was just such an important part of my life. Okay. Definitely understandable. And 
with getting through that, how was that process of like first finding out about something like that and then not knowing if you'd be able to sing again? And then have you sung since just around the house or just around the house? I haven't really um, that vocal nodes and COVID were a little they were in tandem. They both hit made it hard to go to classes in general, made it hard to perform. I had to drop out of classes to do therapy. It was really hard because I felt like part of my identity was being taken away, you know, mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, but I think now, I honestly, I haven't even, like, I haven't gone to therapy in a while because they told me I didn't need it. But it is something that can recur. But it's not something I think about anymore because in I don't really take classes anymore. It's just, mm-hmm. like you said, around the house. So it's just something I enjoy. Definitely understandable. And you mentioned that you're really into, like, film and uh just that type of media in general. What are some of your favorite movies? Oh my god, that's tough. Um, I love the Jurassic Park movies. Those are classics. The the not the new ones, the Steven Spielberg directed ones. I just watched Heat, which is now my favorite movie. It's vaulted to the top of my list. Okay. It's a really old movie with like Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. I really like um, thrillers and like uh, psychological thrillers. I don't know if you've seen the like horror movies, Midsummer and Hereditary. Okay, those ones are really scary. About that, she really into horror movies, (laughs) but yeah. Um, are you still going? My bad. Oh no, no, I'm good. Okay. Um, when analyzing movies and studying movies, because my girlfriend, she's a film studies major, and she got me into. I'm very analytical with like people and like emotions and stuff, and she's that way with like movies. Mm -hmm. So, what do you really look for when you're thinking of a good movie? I do think it's it's um, interesting because some people are pretentious about it. You know, like Marvel is not, you see it in the Oscars, it's not really considered real film by the Academy because they never win awards. Um, Angela Bassett didn't win supporting actor. That was going to be a follow-up thing. Yeah, I think she was snubbed. I think part of it is because she was in a Marvel film. So I think it's, it's hard because all movies are essentially what they are, are entertainment. And people get that in different ways, whether that's really serious dramas or really stupid rom-coms. Um, but when I am analyzing movies, I definitely gravitate towards the more serious ones um, just because I I enjoy layered things. I like dissecting it and peeling it apart and I think that's a product of AP English honestly because you are forced to write essays but I really like looking for deeper meaning so I like the more convoluted plot lines for sure. Do you have any favorite directors or movie makers and if you do why are they your favorite? I really like Martin Scorsese even though I do think some violence is unnecessary in a lot of his films. Um, he's written a lot, of, he, a lot of mob and um, satirical, dark satirical movies mm-hmm. that I just think are executed so well. They're so multifaceted. They have great actors. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, huge actor. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a formula that um, can't really go wrong in a sense. Mm-hmm. I really like Christopher Nolan, but I think it's funny because have you seen Inception? Nope. Um, no, it is though. You know what it is. Yeah, there was a lot of debate over that movie, like if it's good, if it's just, if movies are just good because they are they have an obscure ending. That was a huge debate. Um, I really like Greta Gerwig. I think that's how you say her name. She's a female director, and she did Lady Bird. I don't know if you heard about that. No. But um, female directors aren't really recognized a lot, um, you know, in, in addition to female actors and, and female individuals. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's something that I'm trying to pay more attention to and, and watch more movies in that diversified spectrum. Okay. And if you ever had the opportunity, would you ever act or try and produce or direct a movie? Would you do anything of that sort, sir? 
I think the only involvement I have in a film would be writing a review about it or writing a script for it. Okay. But other than that, I don't really have interest in like acting. <laughs> Definitely understandable. And you mentioned earlier that you tune into the Oscars. You'd say every year, like every year you tune into the Oscars for the most part. I try to. Um, what, yeah. What do you think of this year's Oscars and like some of the awards? Or you mentioned Angela Bassett. Just in general, what would be your review of the Oscars? That's so interesting. I had an interview with a film expert from MSU who was just, it was such an insightful interview and I learned so much. Um, for one, I mean, we were all expecting the Chris Rock slap jokes and <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel yeah. did a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so I think this Oscars as a whole is a little bit anticlimactic in that sense, but there were a lot of things that I were predi- was predicting and it came true. Everything, everywhere, all at once deserved to be, you know, winning seven out of 11 nominations. It was that good? Because I ain't seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's good. amazing. Okay. And it's interesting because it is, it received a lot of acclaim because of its themes about like generational trauma, ADHD, Asian American identity. And then you have people saying it's a diversity win. They just did it to fulfill the quota. Um, and the professor I was talking about was saying, He's a black man in the 60s, and the movie appealed to him because you can't um, pigeonhole movies into what they seem like at surface level. He was saying, yes, this is a movie about Asian American identity, but it's also a movie about humanity, and you have to be able to um, be open to all of these ideas and that spectrum of of consciousness and thinking. Um, I don't know if you heard about the backlash with Jamie Lee Curtis. I did, only because of the Angela Bassett situation, plus... I have forgot that she's the isn't she the main person at Halloween? I I think so actually. Yeah. Yeah. But they were saying I heard like on one end they're like oh my god Angela Bassett they were talking about like how she didn't stand up and when she got the when Jamie Lee got the award like Angela Bassett got snubbed and on the other end people were saying I mean Jamie Lee Curtis is a really good actor so like she kind of deserved it. I didn't see everywhere uh, all in uh, what's the name of it again? Everything everywhere. Everything all everywhere all at once. I didn't see it, but I did see uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, and Angela Bassett did amazing in that movie. But I'm personally not surprised she didn't get the award because, like you mentioned earlier, people do they do the Academy does Marvel wrong like every mm-hmm. year, and I guess part of it I can understand since it's like based on like comic books and there's already like a foundation where like you got everything everywhere all at once. It's like a new quote unquote thought, but. I don't know. I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis would have had done a really good job to get that award over Angela Bassett. So did she, do you feel, I think you mentioned that it was a snub. How do you feel on that specific award specifically? I think she did great. I love the movie, but also I think it was more of a lifetime award. It was more recognizing, you know, her long career and the contribution she's made, which shouldn't be what the award is about. Um, I think that I know a lot of people were saying, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis deserved it. Angela Bassett and more importantly like Stephanie Hsu they have she has her whole career ahead of her to win the award but she doesn't because how often do women of color win Oscars they Not don't often. they they really the last person to win best actress who was a woman of color was Halle Berry in 2002 and then 21 years later you have Michelle Yeoh that is crazy that is not evolving towards diversity at all and i can understand why people would think it would be performative with an evolution like that but yeah yeah, it's just, you told me that off-camera, camera, the woman of color thing winning mm-hmm. the awards, and it's so mind-blowing to think that it takes two decades just to get recognition. Yeah, one of the profess- the professor I was talking to, um, he was saying that there were a lot of similarities between Michelle Yeoh and um, Halle Berry's speech, and that's not because she was copying her. The thing she was saying was, you know, for everyone who looks like me, now you have a chance. Halle Berry said the same thing, but... The truth is they they had similar speeches because 
they don't have a chance. They had similar speeches because nothing has happened in those in that in those past twenty years, like you were saying. So it's just hoping for more, hoping for um, progress to be made from the academy, which. I'm not sure how that's going to go. Yeah, me either. And to stay on this topic to, and to go back to The Little Mermaid that's going to be coming out soon, what are your expectations for it? I'm so excited. First me of all, too. Halle Bailey has a beautiful voice, and I don't think anyone else could have fulfilled the role better. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the trailer, and I know people were making jokes about the underwater effects, which is not the focus of the movie. But I think she's going to be an amazing role model for little girls, for little girls of color and little black girls. And... Um, there is a huge debate about diversity casting. It really came up in the newest James Bond movie when they cast Lashana Lynch as the character 007, who's James Bond. Mm -hmm. And then there was this whole debate about, you know, can James Bond be a woman? Can James Bond be a woman of color? Why can't we create new roles for people of color rather than putting them in old ones? I think, personally, why can't you have both? It's not harmful to have representation in the old roles, and it's not harmful to pave the way for new roles. I think both of them are important, especially in Disney, who, I don't know if you know this, but like before a lot of their movies like Aladdin, they have disclaimers that say, we understand that this is, has racist and you know transphobic material, and they have disclaimers at, a lot of, at the start of a lot of their movies. And the best way to rewrite that is by casting people of color and people from different backgrounds and giving them a chance to have that narrative. Because the truth is, a lot of these Disney princesses are classics, and they're here to stay for generations to come. Like, yes, we can have new Disney princesses, but Cinderella will always have a place. Rapunzel will always have a place. So it's important to have representation in the classic roles and also the new ones, too. I really like that answer because there's no, I personally feel there's no right answer except that one. Mm-hmm. Like, you, there's no reason we should have to pick and choose, okay, we're having a new black character versus casting a black character in a formerly white role or whatever. There should be a healthy balance of both. And yeah. with the new Little Mermaid coming out, Whoever they pick for the Princess and the Frog movie they're making and just the steps Disney can take moving forward can really rewrite their history. And we don't have to really just remember them as, oh, the things Walt Disney did when he were alive or he was alive or the racist depictions in old Disney productions. We're in 2023. We can rewrite that. We can rewrite history. We can make a new generation of movies and talent and give people and cultures the like they deserve. Yeah. And just. Overall, I want to ask, I got one more question for you before I let you go, but just before I ask that, if the roles were reversed and you were the podcast host and you were interviewing me, what would, do you have any thoughts? Would you have, do you have anything to ask me? Do you have anything to share? Um, how do you, like, how did you get comfortable, how'd you get into podcasts and how'd you get comfortable asking people questions, formulating potentially controversial questions? Like, how'd you get into that? It's a really good question. And, um... The answer, ironically, is I've never gotten comfortable with it. It's just, it's how I've always been. Mm -hmm. Like, I've always been someone who's very analytical, always thought about, okay, what what about this? What about this? What about this? And I was talking to somebody the other day that when I was younger, I used to ask a lot of questions, and I was always shunned for it. Teachers would literally tell me, like, okay, you have a question limit, and once you get past those, you can't talk or ask questions no more. And on one end, to play devil's advocate, I can understand if, like, you're in a classroom and there's a lot of kids and you have to get to every kid. And if one kid is asking all the questions and nobody else participating, participating, I can understand that. But on the other end, it made me feel like my voice was being silenced all the way up until dang near college. And it was so weird getting to college and 
having those moments of silence when nobody says anything and then when I were to raise my hand, teachers or professors would be like, I really appreciate you because I, I kind of needed somebody to talk. And you've heard me tell, tell this to Scott when we were Journalism 200 and it was so jarring to hear that, like, no, you should ask questions, especially as a journalist, you should do that. And when focusing on podcasting, I always had thoughts to share, but nobody to share them with. Like, I always just talk out loud or just think to myself or talk to others, see if anybody wanted to talk. And I always, I would watch podcasts. I watch a lot of podcasts and I always wonder like, okay, I want to do that. But I never knew how to do it. And I just did a presentation on this for one of my community or for my communications class, because I always thought it was so difficult to start a podcast. And really all you, there's an app. It was formerly called Anchor and I was called Spotify for Podcasters. You have that app and it allows you to publish. This is a sponsor, by the way, but <laughs> you can, this is a, it allows you to publish audio and even in the app you can send a link out to someone and then you can interview someone inside the app and just shout out to Shakira she uh put me hip to that app because she also has her own podcast outside of all shades of chocolate and once I figured that out I ran with it because the original idea was I was uh, on the game with my friends and we always be like yeah we gotta start a podcast we gotta start a podcast but they weren't really serious about it and I was like really really serious like I want to do this and I had a friend, his name was Brian. I still haven't been, had the honor to interview him. I'm going to get him on the show eventually. He was the one who really pushed me to be like, no, like, do this. Like, you would be really good at it. Start it. And once I started it, it flowed. And I really, I'm not, I'm not the most secure person. I'm pretty insecure. And I always thought, okay, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to listen to my podcast. And just to see the support I get from my podcast and then being brought to the state news to be podcast coordinator, it really kept me going to get my ideas out there, be able to articulate things for people who may not be able to articulate them on their own, but they have ideas and have the honor of interviewing people like you and bringing people on my platform. And yeah. And as far as the controversial topics, it's what drives me is the fact that people don't talk about them. And just the, when I see views, especially from men, the views that they would share and bash women. And even when women do it to men and it's vice versa, it really it really bothers me and i would just start talking about it like this some of the most and then right i come myself i'll be like wait i have a podcast talk about this so just to fully answer your question in one summary i want i want to help people i want to help change the world any way i can and if people have thoughts that they want to share even if it's controversial i'll be the one to talk about it or when i feel something isn't right like if women are being disrespected in media or something rubs me the wrong way i'm going to speak about it no matter who may bat an eye no matter who may feel that it isn't necessary and just being comfortable in the uncomfortable because it's never really been something that i've gotten used to because you people can say somebody can say the slightest thing and they don't know the impact they hold but it holds to me and be like like wow that person really said that but just being able to get my voice out there and help people in any way I can and have people listen to me it's truly an honor like I'm so grateful to the people who listen to me and the people who are on this platform and come talk to me and allow me to interview them I think you're doing an amazing job I mean I can tell you right like from this experience you've asked me questions to things I haven't thought about either in years or at all I think like you said, like I, you've probably come to realize this, that people don't even realize that they want to share ideas, but they have so many things that they've just never been asked about. So I think you're absolutely inspiring. I really appreciate that. And that word, it, 
hearing that I'm inspiring is like that's so heartwarming because I just want that's what I want to be for people and just to have this opportunity in this platform and especially working at the state news I couldn't be more grateful for it and you also did a really good job as well because I never haven't really had that question asked to me too much and again like I said earlier you're very well spoken and you you should start your own podcast bro no (laughs) can I ask you one more question you you can ask me as many as you want to um how like does your podcasting affect journalism vice versa like what have you taken from are there experiences that you've taken from one one or the other that you haven't been taught in classes so not nothing that i haven't been taught but just it was ironic i was there's apparently a podcast class here from mm-hmm. or at msu that's offered and i was thinking about being in it but i thought to myself what what benefit could i get other than what i've already gotten because i was in a writing class and one of the assignments instead of it was make talk about one of the things you've wrote in a way without writing it and one of the options were podcasting and this was before i had officially started my own and i did the assignment and my teacher out of all people he was like you sound more professional than the people who do podcasts for a living and just having that and being in being like a student of the game like watching podcasts watching people who've done this for years and taking um what they do into my own it's really that's been what's more helpful and the opportunities i've had like interviewing like doctors the other day for all shades of chocolate we had the honor of interviewing dr christina myers she's a new black journalist and black professor here at msu who's ironically going to be teaching journal 200 and just having the ability to interview her or people like i interviewed a judge before for one of my classes that i'll use for all for this podcast whenever i get around to editing it and just studying how i can be better has been the best thing that has um, been able to help me improve and with doing my own podcast and being a podcast coordinator that's also helped me a lot in knowing how to handle like bigger um sound setups because usually i just use my phone Mm -hmm. and being podcast coordinator has allowed me to use the headphones we have on the mics we have the soundboard learning how to use the soundboard and just being able to do both the behind the scenes work and the on scene work it's allowed me to further um adapt and build my craft yeah have you had like a career dream or goal that has been stifled by you know society or your background stifle isn't like in a bad way like kind of like yeah like down. you yeah so i actually fun fact about me i used to really want to be a teacher because i, I really i love helping people and i love being able to explain something to somebody and then like that face of like i got it like that brings me so much joy and when i was younger every time i would tell my favorite teachers it's like hey uh, i want to be a teacher i want to do what you do they would be like do not be a teacher because you don't get paid enough for it and the things you have to go through being a teacher you don't get the um respect that you deserve and that it hurts to hear that because i knew they were just being genuine with me like Mm -hmm. as much as i loved seeing the teachers and having some of the professors like scott and being able to learn from them i also know the negatives from it and just looking back on it if i had the opportunity to change i would have at least minored it i've tried to minor in it um like education here but it's um you can't really do much with like a minor in education so yeah and somebody gave me the idea because i had a presentation in one of my other classes before where every week students would teach the class and i did it with a group and like when i had my parts in like teaching a class if it was so amazing to see like people actually give me their attention and participate i had like little questions for them and before i had went even with my own group members 
people didn't really like they didn't really care like you know in class it was early class so people either sleep in line for starbucks it was in um i think is it well not wells it's one of the buildings that had a starbucks in it that also had classrooms mm-hmm. in it and the moment i was talking they were paying attention to me and then once i got done they were like you should really be a teacher like you did a really good job and that like that almost made me cry i'm like oh my gosh i never thought that i could have such an impact on others mm-hmm. so that was one that's kind of um, been stifled in a way. And then as far as like journalism, just when I told you earlier that people, before I got to college, asking questions, asking a lot of questions was deemed as a bad thing. So it's kind of, I've had to learn and reverse backwards and be like, okay, I should ask questions. I should do this. And now having that knowledge of not thinking questions are bad, it's been really fun to be someone who can talk to someone and get their ideas and know more about them in general. Yeah, that's, Like, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that because it shouldn't be like that. But I think it's amazing that you're channeling all the ideas and questions you have into a really successful podcast. I really appreciate that. Do you have any more questions for me? I think that's it. Okay. With one question I want to end it with, and I may make this especially because these next line episodes I'm going to post is going to be like the new season of like my show because like I had someone do like a design for me, like a logo. And then since I haven't posted in a while, the next batch of episodes are just going to be like the new season. And for this new season, I'm going to try to always ask my guests this final question before they leave or in the beginning, depending on whenever I think about it. If I were to ask you, who is Dipika? Who are you? What keeps you going? What wakes you up during the day? How would you answer the question, who is Dipika? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I think first and foremost, my family and friends. Like, it's really the people you surround yourself and the environment that you're in that um, I think changes your outlook on life. That definitely, like, is something I wake up in the morning to. Um, My career aspirations, I think, is one. And not because I'm so set on one thing, because I don't know what I want to do. I don't know how I want to make an impact in the world. I don't know which avenue I want to take to do it. So I think figuring out what that is is really going to shape my identity a lot. Um, I think... Yeah, I think I'm someone, I think, you know, we're alike in the sense that, like, we want to make a difference. And it, it's so hard to do in today's world because it takes so much to get people to pay attention and to actually listen up. But that's so much of who I am, just getting that out there and getting those opinions out there. Because, like, how can we expect, like, gun violence, you know, that included, but how can we expect to live in, like, a better world, better world for our children if we're still debating over basic human rights? I think that's a huge part of who, who I am. And just to give you more flowers again, the the person you've been with, the conversations we had, and just meeting you in Journey 200, phenomenal person for what I've seen, and just the way you think about a lot of stuff, it's really, it's really intriguing to see how you express yourself and just the views you have because it's you would think they're basic things like oh you shouldn't treat people disrespectfully or oh you shouldn't treat women badly, but just it's not it's becoming less and less common to have the mindset you have so want to give you your flowers for that and just i really appreciate you giving me your time to be on this show i know we've been trying to plan it for a while and we finally (laughs) have gotten here and i'm so very very grateful are there any last things you want to say you want to shout out your socials or anything Um, at all i want to say thank you to you this is an amazing podcast you're putting together the questions you asked were amazing you're such an intelligent person and you have so much to offer so thank you for like inviting me to be on i was 
really nervous that I like wasn't going to measure up. So thank you so much. You did phenomenally. And it's truly been an honor to interview you. And to anyone who's listening, who's gotten this far, I'm always so grateful for giving me your time. Again, I'm grateful to Dipika for giving me her time and having this interview. And see you next time. I really appreciate you for listening to the What's On Your Mind podcast. And tune in for our next episode.